From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm Caroline Vasquez, and for today, I'm your host. I'm here to bring you a special story of an innovator, entrepreneur, and leader in the 3D printing industry. And on the flip side, if you're a small, medium-sized manufacturer, like to invest a few million dollars into this equipment, like that's a big gamble, big risk, and who's going to operate it? Where's the workforce coming from? And there's already a manufacturing workforce shortage. And so that was really kind of like, how can we solve some of those those issues? And, and certainly being in Chicago, like there's no shortage of um, big companies, as well as kind of a, a workforce that could use new ideas for in emerging industries. That was Dr. Mike Vasquez. Mike is usually the host of this podcast and is the founder of two 3D printing companies. He started his first company, Three Degrees, in 2013, and since then has helped both global companies and family-run businesses navigate the challenges and opportunities of 3D printing. In talking with hundreds of companies, he kept seeing a need for a tracking software customized to the space. He couldn't find a solution that did what he thought was necessary, so instead, he built one and started his second company, Trace AM. In celebration of the 50th episode of this podcast, he agreed to let me take over the mic and ask the questions. You'll learn what he thinks is next for 3D printing, how his love of sports was a catalyst for his career, and what his experience has been as an entrepreneur. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Hi, Mike. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. So we are here to celebrate episode 50 of Three Degrees Discussions, which I said when you launched this, when you got to 50, I was going to make you be the guest. So tables turned. Welcome to your show. Yes. I'm happy to be here. Happy to make it to 50. Almost just under a year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, what has been the most surprising thing for you in hosting a podcast? I think the consistency of the stories of how people got into 3D printing. I think that was, that's kind of where I started was like, uh, I've met so many interesting people in, in the space and a lot of different career paths, engineering and designing, but most of them kind of consistently across the board have just stumbled into 3D printing into their career. It wasn't something that they mm-hmm. had on their uh, to-do list. I mean, that makes sense because it's not that the industry is not that old, but of the people that I, I spoke to kind of, that was like, uh, that was something that is, a common theme and it's interesting hopefully as as other people listen to this and now there's degree programs at universities that maybe 3d printing is actual career path and you get to kind of hear the like the difference into someone who's like kind of evolved in as the industry has evolved versus kind of a little bit more mature and and now there's actual jobs and job postings about it yeah so do you follow that path as well what was your experience I would probably say so. I think when I was in school, I wanted to do something around sports engineering. I mean, that was my entire focus. I designed baseball bats for Easton. I played baseball. I worked in a sports innovation lab at MIT, I designed catcher's equipment, and then went off to do a PhD where I was 
designing snowboard equipment or helping design materials around snowboarding. And so I really thought that I was going to be doing something related to sports. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a whole industry around that. It's, it's, it's still somewhat niche in terms of broader engineering, but um, all the big companies, Nike and Adidas and Under Armour, like they all have kind of sports engineers. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, But along the way, I mean, I think there was a common thread of 3D printing that kind of evolved. Um, First, when I was at MIT, I did a project with New Balance, um, looking at how do you economically scale 3D printing for shoes? That was really interesting, um, partially for the materials side, but partially f- more so from economics and like, technical uh, need to, to deploy a technology like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I went to, to England, to Loughborough, to, to do the PhD, um, it was all focused on, it, it was kind of a, I knew I wanted to work with Burton and, and kind of the sports engineering group at, at Loughborough, but like this, this project was specific around 3d printing and, and the materials around 3d printing, which I was a good fit for given the background in material science. And so I kind of stumbled into it. Um, still even doing that, I got to be inundated in 3d printing on a day-to-day basis, but didn't think that I would entirely focus on 3d printing afterwards. And so it wasn't something like I probably remember a conversation or two with Neil and Candace, my, <laughs> my advisors there that as they were asking me, like, what do you want to do with what I finished? Like I would probably say sports, mm-hmm. something sports engineering related. We even had a podcast. My friend yep. Henry and I had a podcast about sports technology at the time. So it wasn't 3d printing focused. Yeah. So it was, I would you, fit that mold. Do you have a sense of who is, listening who's heard who's heard the first 50 episodes uh, I have some sense um, and it's pretty interesting just across the board um, certainly we had the a mug show a few weeks ago in Florida where you get to actually see people for the first time in yeah. 18 months um, since this started and, and so like heard from people that hey like I've listened to your show or at least seen it I think that's probably more common I don't have a good sense of of I have rough sense of numbers and in terms of who's, who's listening, but um, certainly a lot more people have seen, Hey, like you interviewed a friend of mine or um, I've listened to a a handful of episodes. And and so I think it's kind of a mix of folks that are uh, kind of established in the industry. Maybe I'm interviewing a friend of theirs or a colleague or someone that they work with. Um, But also um, I think a fair amount of, I would say young engineers or people in their okay. younger point of their careers. Sure. Maybe learn. Because historically bit it's been a pretty small group, right? Like every, it seems to me that everybody in the 3d printing world, like has overlapped somewhere, some project at some time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's still fairly small. Um, and, and the network is, is certainly growing and the spread of the technology is growing, but that means that it, there's a lot more people learn wanting to learn more about the mm-hmm. in, the industry, but but certainly any conference that you go to, or even all the virtual conferences that we've had over the last year, that's you kind of see the same names and faces and and things, which is it, it gives. I kind of like it because it, it gives some context to 
the history of the technology and where it's come from, which is one, also one of the reasons why, why I started it was I think there's, there's no shortage of kind of I don't know, maybe puff pieces or case studies or like all the good that goes in, like all the positive like stories yeah. around the technology and media and, and stuff. But um, there's a lot of work that goes into those and there's a lot of context of like, hey, this idea started at this company or this university out of this work. And, and so a lot of the stories that we get into with, with these are early kind of career points in, in many folks' um, yeah. uh, trajectory. So we get to hear some of that as well. Yeah. Well, and that, that picks up on something that I've always thought was interesting about your perspective on this, which is, you know, I've been going to 3D printing courses since before we were even married. Right. And I've often joked that you're kind of the, the realist in the room. Like you've never really bought into the hype that, you know, I asked you like, are we gonna have a 3D printer and print our own silverware someday? And you're like, yeah, I, I don't think that's where this is going. Um, you know, so I'm curious sort of, you know, it feels like the industry has gone through a bit of a sea change over the last couple of years in it really moving from just prototyping and other things to really end products. What, what are your thoughts as the realist on sort of what the next five years in the space are going to look like? Yeah. I mean, I think the, over the last few years, certainly there's a lot of different players in the market, Um, whether that's material suppliers, whether that's people printing parts, whether that's machine manufacturers or different types of technology, which makes it more and more, I don't know if challenging is the right word, maybe confusing is, is a better word for people that are, are companies that are looking to, to actually use the technology in an effective way. You kind of have to have this somewhat like baseline knowledge of all these different technologies to, to, to evaluate which one is the right choice if there's any for me. And, and so I think there's kind of, Currently, we're we're still going to through that maturation process as a industry where like there are certainly industries that that have gone through the qualification of parts and have developed um, technologies that work for them for specific portfolios of of components. But I think a lot of the way that this industry speaks around the maturation of the the industry is just through like, hey, can we get the right materials? Can we get the right Mm-hmm. machine at the right cost but i think it's more broad than that in terms of like can we get the right team around this that is willing to be patient or has the right budget or has the right timeline or the right skill set to actually effectively deploy a, a solution and so i think that's it's not always just about okay can i get this machine at the right cost to replace these set of parts and mm-hmm. so i think that you need that. Like you have to have a material, uh, the stainless steel has to act like stainless steel or nylon 12 has to act like nylon 12, but that's getting better. You can quantify that a little bit, but I think the enterprise around building teams in in the space and, um, and helping to think through what are the right applications, because I think the the design part still comes into it. It's like, it's not just replacing a one-to-one part. Um, in some cases it is, but in many cases to really get the true value because the, the machines are still expensive. The materials are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that run them are expensive. Um, you have to think a little bit more broadly and, and that takes in some cases, uh, an organization that's a little bit open-minded to, to do that. Um, yeah. but I think that we're getting there, um, 
in, in do you see ways. that in the conversations? I mean, obviously you sit with three degrees as, you know, a consultant that gets brought into a lot of these large companies trying to figure it out. Are you getting different questions from them today than you were getting when you launched the business seven years, seven years ago, eight years ago? Yeah. 2013. Yeah. Yes. I think people are more comfortable with the lingo. They realize like when I first started, there wasn't like no appreciation that there are different types of 3d printers, FDM or filament based or powder based or metals. Um, I think people are more comfortable with that, um, that aspect of it, which, which helps a lot. And so I think they come into it knowing that, Hey, like we've got a lot of options out here. Um, where do we start? Like what's low hanging fruit? Um, and have an appreciation that it's, it's not, it can be beyond prototyping, but to get beyond prototyping into production is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so is that still the entry point for most of your clients Are most of them coming in with, we don't have any 3d printing yet and we're looking to have some, or do you have people now who are, Hey, we've been doing it in this small sort of sandbox testing arena. And we want to figure out kind of how to level it up. We see a lot of opportunity. I'd say it's both. I'd say more so on the the second side where there's like, how do we mature the technology or take it to the next level where, okay, if we're just doing prototyping, we don't have to worry about where our materials come from or even the cost to some extent, because usually it's, it's cheaper on the prototyping side, but how do you scale it out in terms of qualifying or validating a process and what are the right standards to use? Um, who are our vendors and, and all of that comes into play. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually not in the same location today. Sign of uh, world going back to some version of normal. You're at our house. I'm in my office. Um, but obviously, you know, you have grown three degrees. You've launched uh, your software company during COVID. We worked from home with, with two toddlers. You're doing a lot less travel. I think everybody right now is thinking about what did, what just happened in my life? And what of, what of that world do I want to continue to adopt? Um, and, and sort of what am I excited to get back to? And so I'm curious as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, business owner, you know, what has the experience over the last 15 months been like for you? Sure. I mean, I think it's certainly been different, um, than what it was before, but I think with that, uh, certainly early on February, March time, like no one knew what to expect, right? Like it, there's so many unknowns, but uh, it, it quickly, well, not quickly, but like you kind of got to a status quo at some point once you saw the lockdowns happening and what was locked down, what was like, what was okay, what was not okay, what were the right precautions. Um, I think that just turned into a new status quo or a new kind of baseline where, okay, where's the opportunity in this? And I think for, from my perspective, that's what I wanted to to try and take away from it is, and, and always in terms of the outlook is okay. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, there are bad, terrible aspects of this in terms of human costs and, um, and life costs for, for COVID, but from, kind of a, a business perspective, what are, are some of the opportunities that, that we could take advantage of from as a, as a small company and, mm-hmm. and those kind of being doing things like the podcast and reaching a different audience. Um, 
I think the, the other piece of it really was, um, what's the, how is the conversation more broadly around manufacturing and supply chains kind of coming into the, the everyday conversation that people are sitting and having on their couch during Netflix, because like you had this, okay, there's no toilet paper. Like, what does that mean? Like, okay, that means somewhere that we either don't have enough supply of, of raw material or there's a plant that's closing or it can't get across borders. And so you saw these kind of real life aspects of manufacturing and supply chains kind of coming into um, everyday lingo and people are, are talking about it um, similarly with like just keeping plants open and like, where do you find employees? Like, how do you keep them safe? And, and so I think the, the conversation around kind of U S based manufacturing really grew. Um, there was kind of rumblings of that over the last few years, certainly, but, um, I think it was more catalyst or, yeah. And, and I think as well as there's, because it was so visible to, to everyday people, like politicians took notice and say, okay, we need to put some money behind this. And, and so now there's big initiatives um, to address some of these um, efforts that are already ongoing. So with the PPE, for instance, like there's yeah. organizations like America Makes that are formalizing that with the FDA and making sure things are safe, that are 3D printed. Um also other that was a huge i mean that was like a huge story for a while right was everybody was going to 3d print uh ventilator ventilator parts right absolutely and and i think it it served its purpose um well in terms of kind of is there a stopgap that you can kind of use 3d printing for as you ramp up to more efficient cost effective types of of solutions um as people retool. So I think there were a lot of great examples of that. We worked a little bit with M hub, which is a local Chicago innovation hub, which my usual office is, is at, um, to do some, some collaborative work with Northwestern university and, and some other partners to, to do some of that work. Um, but there's, there was great examples of that. Everyone I talked to in the 3d printing realm at AMUG, like they were all doing something to, to support that. So I think that was well, great to see. Cause it kind of is the, uh, thesis, right, of 3D printing, which is it's you can rapidly evolve designs. You can print it much more quickly than a traditional send it somewhere, make the mold first, inject it sort of stuff, right? So, I mean, it, it really helped, I think, a lot of people probably see the value of the technology. I can print it, I can demo it, I can reprint it, it, it all in a day if I need to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think there's there's benefit to that thinking and and showing that with kind of established yeah. manufacturing companies where the the idea to gain efficiency is to optimize how you make a single product as much as you can right if i'm coke yeah. bottling cans like i need to optimize that as much as i can to to save uh, half a penny um, and that makes sense, but more and more, like what's, uh, what's the future business models going to look like for small, medium sized manufacturers that, um, may do one-off customized things yeah. or smaller volumes or, yeah. or kind of retool and say, Hey, we've been working in medical, but if we have a 3d printer, maybe we can do some medical, or we have some of the same skill sets to do 
oil and gas or electric vehicles or aerospace. And we just talked to, or I just talked to a woman who runs her, her family's manufacturing business in Italy and they got a 3d printer production, 3d printer a couple of few years ago and primarily they were in oil and gas, but now they're getting all these different customers and um, from a lot of different industries that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so I think it's kind of a tool that opens up some, some different conversations. Did you have any clients who faced true manufacturing challenges just because of how shut down China was for a pretty prolonged period of time? We certainly knew of material shortages, not necessarily because of, of China, but um, I think there were some other issues that, that came about, um, certainly in terms of, of getting raw materials and, and delays in, in production. Um, early on, I think that was the case. Um, I know like, this is like January time, like some of the people we were working with, um, just the factories were shut down um, right after kind of the Chinese New Year in 2020. Um, and so that certainly caused delays. Um, but for the most part, kind of manufacturing did stay, like the light stayed on. Um, it was a critical industry in most, most places, but yeah. um, there were other aspects. I mean, probably more impactful, just as impactful was things like the, the Texas freeze where many polymer companies kind of uh, got had delays in, in their raw production and, um, and other things like that. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. You talked about companies who need to figure out how to validate parts, track parts as part of that ecosystem switch from maybe just prototypes to more end user products. Um, so part of what you did during COVID was took, uh, trace your software company to the next level. Um, I'm guessing listeners would be curious to know kind of why does the market need that sort of tool and, you know, who should be calling you uh, looking for a demo? Sure. So Trace is a online kind of database tool specifically designed for 3D printing and to manage all of the information that is generated when you go to start a build, complete a build, manage your materials. And so the whole idea kind of started about three years ago when we were working with all these companies to, to, to help them stand up production facilities, they spend half a million, million, $2 million on machines and get someone trained up and, and they're kind of get their VIPs in and show the machine, Hey, it works. Um, but then there's really this um, challenge across the industry. It doesn't matter big companies, small companies, like how do you manage that information and data that's generated each time you do a build um, to different degrees, um, whether it's for full production or managing quality or validating a, a new R&D material. Everyone was using Excel across the board. It's kind of one, <laughs> one or two examples, maybe of yeah. one hacking together something else. And so I thought, hey, we can, we can do better than that and add a price point as well that's accessible. One of the challenges in the 3D printing world right now is everything is expensive. Materials are expensive. The machines are expensive. The software is really expensive. And, and that just is prohibitive to, to adoption. It makes it more risky to do, um, do anything and, and extends the timeline of, of adoption. And so trace essentially kind of came about because I, I kind of, put together a, a series of PowerPoint slides to say, hey, like if I had something that went from this page to this page to this page that followed the 
3D printing workflow. And so uh, at step one, I can enter my design and file information. At step two, I can write my materials information. At step three, I can write what machine and process details I was doing. And then subsequently the the inspection and, and all the data that comes around validating the parts, that would be great. And so um, we've launched Trace. It's a kind of web-based tool that you can kind of log into. You see an interface that has all your projects and all your builds identified on there. It's kind of a repository for all this kind of digital information that otherwise would just be scattered in someone's email or on an Excel spreadsheet or um, just handwritten somewhere. And really the idea is to to allow users a simple way to, to manage it so you can Engineers can use it. The operators can input data into it and use it. And decision makers can kind of see visibility into the uh, the, the shop. Um, but also, I think to to be able to you know, maybe for, do some forecasting, have that level of traceability, so that if something does go wrong or you start to get some parts out that don't always look the way they should, you have an easy way to kind of trace back and say, hey, like these parts came out weird starting early in May. That was about the same time we had a big maintenance effort on the machine. What changed? And so you can, rather than recalling an entire line of products, you can pinpoint what, what the issue was. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember early on in our discussions, you thought, well, as you think about what's happening in the medical space and in the aerospace, space. Um, you know, my mom's going to have her knee replaced in October. You've jokingly told me she's probably getting some 3d printed part shoved in her knee, you know, at some point, if something were to go wrong with it, I would want them to be able to go back through, right. And say, Oh, that was part of this batch of materials printed on this machine. No, we've not had any other defects come out of, come out of that. So I know that that's one use case. Um, you know, we talked about materials shortages. Obviously, if you can do some forecasting, you're probably better able to manage kind of the inventory of raw materials you want to have at your disposal for some lead time. What other what other use cases have surprised you as you've started started to talk to people and and built out the the tool itself? Yeah. So initially, like kind of the idea was like to get into individual shops and and areas to to have them use as an in house tool, but over the last kind of six months, and, and now we've got this project with America Makes and the Air Force, um, actually using it as a kind of broader repository for materials data and information and, and build information from from real live parts and real live operations. And, and so what I mean by that and kind of the essence of this project that, that we're doing with, um, with that, with America Makes and the Air Force is to take um, all these different projects that have been funded to look at different materials, different processes um, with different companies and put it in one centralized place. And so kind of this fall, we're kind of building on top of that idea to kind of have a centralized real life data repository for 3D printing and and kind of building that out to a broader audience, um, both for just information purposes so that you can see, okay, how does this machine run at this different um, setting or these different types of materials and parts and compare that over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the next iteration really is to use this to help kind of companies build out their qualification um, and calibration process. Because right now, if you're a small, medium-sized manufacturer, like to get 
like you typically don't have a lot of the inspection material or um, machinery in-house. And so, and in many cases, it's unclear what should you be doing every build, every month, every quarter to to track that. And so kind of the next iteration of Trace is to to have a accessible tool that people can use almost as a subscription to say, okay, we need to do this build every month, get these parts tested and, and have that repository. So it's clear in one place and, and allows users to, to keep their machines in spec and, yeah, and have confidence, right. In, in what they're building. Certainly for, for new customers, for existing customers to, to show like, or even a differentiator to say, Hey, we, yeah. we know our machines are in spec and here's our yeah. data to prove it. Yeah. So clearly, you know, you're running two companies, you're a serial entrepreneur, which I admire. Was that always your plan is, is running your own thing? Like what about that kind of makes you, makes you tick? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was always, I don't think it was probably not always the plan. Um, But at this point I I like doing it. Um, I like having the flexibility to kind of work on the different projects I've that I want to, and, and that I think offer a lot of value, but, but also like flexibility in, in other ways, like we can, um, we have two little kids, so I can be home pretty regularly when, when need be to, to, to get them or take care of them. We can do kind of have flexibility in terms of, of some travel and, and whatnot. And, I can go to the gym in the middle of the day if I wanted. And the gym that is right next to where you're filming. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the Peloton and your how many how many pounds are you up to now on your kettlebell yeah. crazy yeah. Turkish get-ups? Yes, the seventy-pound kettlebells in the background, and yeah. so, um, and so, so I really like that aspect and and having the ability to um, see opportunities and and make an instant decision on like is that something to to experiment with. I mean, like the podcast, right? Like yeah. it, it, it was an idea. Um, took a couple of weeks to get the microphones and, and all that, but like, it wasn't that long before I got the first episode on uh, online and kind of keep the cadence and I can change it when I want to. So sure. I think that, that aspect is, is what I really enjoy about the, um, uh, the serial entrepreneur, small business world, but, uh, but also it, I mean, it's not come without challenges and, and things. And, and so that level of being able to think creatively and kind of yeah. grit through different periods of, of uncertainty is, is, is part of it as well. Yeah. Is there an in-house like corporate job that would ever entice you to leave the startup <laughs> world behind? Uh, never say never. I don't know what it might be. I mean, it might not even be 3d printing related. So, yeah. um, so I'm always open-minded to that and it's always worth growing in different ways. And, um, I've really only worked at this company. I had an internship at 3M, but that was years ago at this point. So it's, um, I think it's always good to keep open-minded about that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you, love to build things as a kid? Like, were you into like modeling and solving complex problems? And like, was there something in the ethos of your childhood that like you look back on what you're doing now and you say like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense given who I, you know, was as a kid. It was like Legos and things like that. That's kind of a generic answer. I mean, I think the reason I became a materials engineer was that, um, 
I love playing baseball. I still play baseball. And every year when I was in high school, they would come out with this new bat made of a different material. It was aluminum and graphite and carbon fiber. And, and I always thought like, Hey, like somebody somewhere is that's their job is to, to make baseball bats. <laughs> and, and so that sounded pretty cool. And I also like kind of the baseball team aspect of like, you know, like kind of diverse still in my office. <laughs> I lost my lights. Um, kind of diverse teams and people from different walks of life, like having to come together to, to support a, a single effort. And so kind of the combination of those two kind of really kind of propelled me down the, the path of engineering and, and materials. And I mean, that was my first internship. I worked at Easton sports out in Van Nuys, California, yeah. testing yeah. carbon fiber baseball bats. And so. Was it everything you thought it would be when you were the kid knowing somebody was out there doing that? It was pretty fun. I mean, I think it was certainly uh, kind of fun. I got to use some of these propped up, souped up bats that were certainly illegal um, <laughs> and got to play baseball all, all summer. And there's yeah. a batting cage in, in the office and a hockey rink because they make skates and, yeah. um, and hockey sticks too. So yeah. I would say it was a, a pretty good first experience in the workforce. Yeah. For parents out there, like you talked about, right, that 3D printing is sort of going through this maturation process and now you're starting to maybe have degree programs. Are there, you know, things that parents should be, could be doing um, if they want to get their kids interested in something like 3D printing? I mean, what are your thoughts on like the little desktop printers? I think those are awesome. I mean, they're, I mean, still decently expensive, a few hundred dollars. So it's not trivial, but if you're going to spend something like spend money in an Xbox or something like that. It's not that much different. Um, And I think the awesome thing that I'm seeing more and more is like most schools, elementary, high school, like have some sort of 3D printer in in the facility um, and people are aware of what it does. It may not be like the huge production printers, like they're a million dollars, but at least it gives people the ability to build something, see a vision, put it on the screen and see it manufactured in, in front of them. I think that's very powerful. Um, we Just this week, I, I spoke to um, uh, another guest who runs an elementary school or kind of a school for um, kids that, that have a lot of issues um, are usually under, under state kind of um, can, um, care care and uh they use 3d printing on a day-to-day basis to produce kind of little projects and do competitions and kind of visualize some of their anxieties and stresses into physical parts and and helps them kind of separate that separate that And, and so i think there's there's just so many opportunities to 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 accompany the the value of making something with your hands or or putting something together that you made i think that's very um uh, very impactful for, for, for kids. And I think um, is something that most areas, I think nowadays, even public libraries, um, there's innovation spaces across the country. So no matter where you are, there might be kind of do some quick searches of, of 3D printing hubs or um, maker, maker spaces, spaces. Yeah. That, that you could go check out and, and they love usually having kids. Can come by. Yeah. 
Um, so because you're not busy enough, you're also launching a summer apprenticeship program, uh, here in Chicago, uh, with West side forward. I'm curious sort of what inspired that. And, you know, is there a particular industry problem, um, that you're trying to solve with that initiative? Sure. So uh, over the last few years, I mean, we get to interface with a lot of different companies and there's kind of two big problems that, that we see on a consistent basis. One is that if we're all to believe the hype of 3D printing, that uh, significantly more parts are going to be 3D printed and manufactured. All these big companies, the Boeings, the Fords, the GMs of the world are investing millions of dollars into it. Like there's got to be some sustained supply chain in the US or nearby to to make some of that parts, those parts. And right now that it's not really, doesn't exist. Um, And on the flip side, if you're a small, medium-sized manufacturer, like to invest a few million dollars into this equipment, like that's a big gamble, big risk, and who's going to operate it? Where's the workforce coming from? And there's already a manufacturing workforce shortage. And so that was really kind of like, how can we solve some of those those issues? And and certainly being in Chicago, like there's no shortage of um, big companies, as well as kind of a, a workforce that could use new ideas for in emerging industries and um, kind of partnering with the West side forward community organization on the West side of Chicago. Um, We're putting together this summer kind of intro to 3d printing careers course um, to really kind of maybe shed some, some light on what does a career in manufacturing look like in 2021, because it's not kind of conventionally what, what people think it was. Um, and I think the industry as a whole, maybe kind of the, the population in general has kind of not cast manufacturing into a great light and, and for, for good reason, right? Like it was, um, you have all the stories of, okay, like the company sent my, my dad's job away, then he sure. was unemployed or yeah. the, um, it's a dirty job, like every article you read is how AI and robotics are going to replace all the manufacturing here. So like, why would, why would anyone want to go work in that, that environment? Um, It doesn't seem like just on the face value, like a a good career choice. Well, or that it's like the tale of two worlds, right? Like I think there was then this perception that manufacturing actually pivoted into the, the PhDs and the engineers are now the ones doing the manufacturing because they're running the machines and there is, you know, there is no longer a workforce that supports that. And I think, you know, it's an interesting myth that you've helped me understand isn't, isn't really true. And the jobs, you know, that are open for people who are uh, willing to do some retraining, which doesn't have to be super intensive are fairly well-paying and um, they can kind of pick from a lot of opportunities. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I think there's, a lot of skills that it doesn't require a college degree and, and there's skills that you can build within an organization to learn different machines that are transferable across different companies. Like if you learn how to do measurement or inspection or operate a machine, like the, like every day you see more and more 3d printing facilities and manufacturing sites trying to scale up and get workforce, but they're always complaining. Like I had a call today, like, someone can't find enough people to, to do this stuff. So I think the jobs are out there and it's trying to match that up a little bit with a, a community that may not be aware of what 
kind of uh, a career looks like in, in 3D printing. So yeah. So if if any listeners are interested in sort of supporting uh, the apprentices you'll have this summer, are there opportunities for people not in Chicago or in Chicago to to get engaged? For sure. I mean, we're always looking for places that students can go work after afterwards. Um, we're also having kind of building out a mentorship program within this. Um, so okay. we're going to get in addition to kind of taught curriculum on, on site and some tours, every student will have a mentor accompanying them through the like kind of virtually like kind of help helping them through the course really to build their network. Right. We yeah. kind of talked about early on is that this is a small community. And so if you can, if you can meet some people in, in this space and, and many of the mentors will have been guests of my podcast um, that kind of gives you a, a, lead, a big lead into kind of where you, yeah. where you could get your first job or, or first experience. So happy to um, tell people more. Um, my email is Mike at three degrees company. The organization is called West side forward. So there's some more information on that site as well about the, uh, the application, the actual program too. Cool. So you and I love to play games of Q and a, are you up for a little, uh, quick lightning round with me? Sure. All right. Early bird or night owl, Mike. Uh, early bird. <laughs> you want to tell everybody how early you are as an early bird? Sure. Uh, usually my day starts somewhere around four 30 in the morning. So either kind of check a few emails and then go for a run, get on the bike, do some lifting in this space so before the kids get up. So our first, our son Hunter gets up at 6am. So I need to be showered and ready to go by the time he gets up. Uh, best material to print with favorite material to print with. I'm still partial to some of the work I did kind of early on as some of the elastomer materials. I think there's a lot of opportunity in kind of in sporting goods and athletics and protection that I'm excited to, to see some of those really coming to, um, coming to reality 10 years onwards. Job as a founder that you would forever outsource if you could. Accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Quarterly taxes. (laughs) So technology that you're most excited about. I think I'm excited about Trace um, <laughs> to be selfish and self-promoting. Yeah. Um, it is your think, podcast. You can do that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there to to mine some of the data that, that's already been created and, and gain even further insights on the technology. Okay. Snowboarding or skiing? Snowboarding. Person you most want to have as a guest on your podcast? It's hmm. a good question. I haven't really thought about it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've, I really like my, my most, I don't have like a, there's no celebrity or anything like that. I, I really get a kick out of talking to owners or kind of the small, medium size kind of companies that have really put everything on the line to, to start a business. Um, I find that those stories really, um, energizing, encouraging, and hearing kind of the true kind of day-to-day life. So, uh, so I would like to kind of continue to highlight those stories, um, through the podcast. Okay. 
Favorite cocktail? Hmm. I'd say a sidecar for the for me. We're, we're bourbon people, so it was a tough choice between sidecar or an old fashioned. Yeah, the coriander old fashioned is kind of hard to beat. That's right. Uh, you talked about AMA going back to uh, in person conferences. Having now done both, do you have a preference, in person or Zoom? No, in person. Best business advice. Yeah, I think it it would be kind of thinking through what's the opportunity in any given situation. So, I mean, there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be challenges, but if you have a mindset that like, okay, what, what's the opportunity here for me is an opportunity to learn like, Hey, like that was a terrible approach. Like, don't ever do that again. Or like, I think just having that outlook and kind of positive, um, spin on whatever situation it is. Cause I think, um, early on, certainly I had challenges with, with doing that and, and kind of keeping a positive light on getting rejected by a client or not getting feedback from a phone call and things like that. And, and trying to think more broadly and, and being patient about kind of when does, when is opportunity kind of, where are there opportunities to, to do better or succeed or change strategies or learn? Is there a dream project for you? I think the beating an old horse here is kind of the, I think the trace stuff has a a kind of interesting opportunity to, to, to build out something new in the industry. Um, Some of the stuff we spoke about, about calibration and kind of helping people rapidly qualify their, their parts. Seems like a good place to leave it. Thank you for letting me come on and uh, ask you questions. Pretend like I know enough about this to uh, be dangerous in those questions. And I can't wait to see what the next 50 episodes look like. For sure. Thank you very much and helping me all along this path. And and I did not see the questions in advance. So hopefully I did okay. You did great. You pass. I'm I'm, I'm one to judge on these and you did very well. Well, thank you.